Amen and amen and amen. How many know that the size of the church is not about how many butts are in seats? It's about the reach around the world. It's about the impact of the ministry around the world. And God has given us for the size of our congregation an outsized impact around the world. Uh, there are mega churches that don't have the kind of kingdom impact around the world that we have. Thank you so much. Got my back. My brother got my back. That's what I'm talking about. All right, I just want to remind you that next Sunday is Commitment Sunday. It is going to be the most significant and important Sunday in the history of our church. Please be here and do not, I repeat, do not allow the devil to get a foothold in your life this week. Because if there's any week where he's going to try, it's going to be this week. Why? Because he wants us to be less than present. He wants us to be less than committed, less than devoted, and he wants us to be less than unified before the Lord. And so he's going to try to get a foothold in your life this week in any way he possibly can. But I need you to be self-controlled and alert because next Sunday is going to be a powerful time before the Lord. And we got stuff for your kids. We're happy to stay around and have lunch after the service. We've got stuff, you know, games and bounce houses, as Jacob said, for your kids to play. It's going to be a wonderful, wonderful time. Amen. I'm going to uh, just read a passage of scripture to you from the book of 1 Kings chapter 17. Uh, please, uh, you don't need to feel like you need to turn there right now. I'm just going to read it to you. You can go back and read it later. But I want you to hear it. I want you to hear it, and I want you to just uh, receive this from the Lord. 1 Kings chapter 17. And Elijah the Tishbite of the inhabitants of Gilead said to Ahab, As the Lord God of Israel lives before whom I stand, there shall not be dew nor rain these years, except at my word. Then the word of the Lord came to him, saying, Get away from here and turn eastward and hide by the brook Cherith, which flows into the Jordan. And it will be that you shall drink from the brook, and I have commanded the ravens to feed you there. So he went and did according to the word of the Lord. For he went and stayed by the brook Cherith, which flows into the Jordan. The ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening, and he drank from the brook. And it happened after a while that the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. Then the word of the Lord came to him, saying, Arise, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. See, I have commanded a widow there to provide for you. So he arose and went to Zarephath. And when he came to the gate of the city, indeed, a widow was there gathering sticks. And he called to her and said, please, bring me a little water in a cup that I may drink. And as she was going to get it, he called to her and said, please, bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. So she said, as the Lord your God lives, I do not have bread. Only a handful of flour in a bin and a little oil in a jar. And see, I am gathering a couple of sticks that I may go in and prepare it for myself and my son, that we may eat it and die. And Elijah said to her, do not fear. Go and do as you have said, but make me a small cake from it first and bring it to me. And afterward, make some for yourself and your son. For thus says the Lord God of Israel, the bin of flour shall not be used up, nor shall the jar of oil run dry until the day the Lord sends rain on the earth. So she went away and did according to the word of Elijah. And she and he and her household ate for many days. 
the bin of flour was not used up, nor did the, the jar of oil run dry, according to the word of the Lord, which he spoke by Elijah. Today, I want to talk to you on the subject, the last biscuit. The last biscuit is precious. You remember the movie The Last Dragon? Bruce Leroy? How about The Last of the Mohicans? Remember that movie? Whenever there's the last, the last samurai, whenever you get down to the last of anything, that thing becomes precious. And it's a travesty, it is a tragedy when the last of anything dies. It's over and done with. Sometimes the most important moment of your life is when you come down to the last biscuit. What you do with that last biscuit will determine God's response to your situation. I want to take us inside this passage of Scripture a little bit before we get too deep. We actually talked from this passage of scripture a few weeks ago. I preached a message called The Fire for the Fog. And we started out by talking about this announcement that Elijah made here in chapter 17, verse 1. He said to Ahab, As surely as the Lord lives, there will be neither rain nor dew in the earth except at my word. And we talked about how this was a direct frontal assault against Baal. Baal was known in the ancient world as the god of dew and rain. The god of rain and dew. And the prophet says, there will be neither rain nor dew except at my word. He was literally saying, you think Baal provides you with the rain and the dew. I'm going to prove that Baal does not provide you with the rain and the dew. How do I do it? I'm going to turn off the rain and the dew until you recognize and put some respect on my name. And we talked about what happened in chapter 18, that three years later, the prophet appears to Ahab and says, bring everybody to Mount Carmel and God's going to send rain on the earth. And the prophet has this showdown, this historic showdown on Mount Carmel with the prophets of Baal. And of course, God prevails over Baal and, and the people fall on their faces after the fire falls on the altar and they declare the Lord, he is God, and then God restores rain on the earth. It's a powerful passage. What I want to talk about this morning is what happened during those three years. Between the moment the prophet made the announcement, there will be neither rain nor dew except at my word, and the moment of the showdown on Mount Carmel, there was a three-year period. I want you to understand the way prophets lived in Israel. See, prophets had no profession. They had no way of providing for themselves. They were not farmers. They were not like Saul of Tarsus who became a tent maker. They had no business. They were not entrepreneurs. They couldn't write books and sell them. What they did, though, was they went from town to town prophesying, and there would always be someone in the town who would make provision for them while they were there. There were often people in towns that would actually build an extra room onto their house because the prophet frequented their town, and they wanted the prophet to have a place to stay. And so the prophets lived by the benevolence of the people. That is, whenever a prophet came to town, the people felt responsible to provide for the prophet. The prophet's provision came from the people. Now, this was all fine and good until you prophesy against the king of Israel. Because once you prophesy against the king of Israel, you become public enemy number one. 
you become an enemy of the king of Israel, and if you harbor an enemy of the king, you yourself become an enemy of the king. So Elijah is faced with this predicament. God has given me this word to prophesy to the king of Israel, but this word might cost me my life. The king might have my head chopped off right there, but it's definitely going to cost me my provision. The prophet, in receiving this word from God, is put in a place where he has to choose between his obedience and his provision. He knows that the moment I speak this word, I become a pariah. No one will be able to give me a love offering. No one will be able to put me up in their house. Feed me a meal. No one will be able to make provision for me in any way, shape, or form. The prophet knew that obedience was going to cost him his provision. You ever been at that place where you have to choose between your obedience and your provision? What you choose in that place says a lot about who you believe the Lord to be. Because if you believe the Lord to be a hard man, like the man who buried the talents, he said, what did you do that for? He said, I knew you were a hard man. You gather where you have not sown, you reap where you have not scattered seed, so I was afraid. He believed the Lord to be a hard man who just comes to take, but he doesn't give. Where Job says he gives and takes away, the, the man with hard man theology says he takes away but does not give. But if you believe the Lord to be a benevolent provider, then when God comes to the place where he calls you to choose between your provision and your obedience, you get excited. Elijah steps out and obeys the Lord. He speaks this word of the Lord knowing that what he is doing in this moment is coming to a place of complete surrender. You see, complete surrender is the place at which you obey with no anticipation of anything on the other side of it. God had given him no promises. God had given him no instructions. So often we say, Lord, I'll obey, but give me your promise first. I'll obey, but tell me what I'm going to do afterwards first. You see, we tend to believe that the provision of the Lord is the prerequisite for our obedience. But from God's perspective, our obedience is the prerequisite for his provision. He says, obey first, I provide second. We say, no, God, you provide first, and then I'll obey. But the prophet, in complete faith, casts all of his bread upon the waters. He stands before Ahab, and he boldly proclaims the word of the Lord. He becomes the outcast. He becomes the pariah. He surrenders his provision. And now he's in the place of full surrender because he's cast completely upon the mercy of God. You see, a lot of us, we think we've surrendered to God, but you actually can't surrender to God until you've come to the end of your rope. Because until then, what you're surrendering to God is your excess. You have to be like the widow who comes to her last mite before you can actually experience true and full surrender because you can't say Jesus is all you need until Jesus is all you have. 
So the prophet speaks the word and says, okay, Lord, it's you and me. What are we going to do? <laughs> well, what is we going to do? I remember a, a time in seminary when I was at a church, and it was a big church. It was a mega church, and I had $40 to my name. I was a poor, starving seminarian. I had $40 left. And the Lord spoke to me that morning and said, I want a $40 offering today. I said, Lord, your math is bad. 10% is $4. The Lord said, no, I want a $40 offering today. I said, Lord, this church don't need my money. Look at this big church. They don't need my $40. The Lord said, I didn't say I, this church needs your $40. I said, I want a $40 offering today. The offering's for me, not this church. The church is just the vehicle. I'm the recipient. Yeah. I said, Lord, then you got to promise me you're going to provide for me on the other side of this. The Lord said, I'll make you no such promise. You're going to give and you're going to trust me. I must confess my attitude was not perfect. I said, fine then, take my $40. And here's the key. One of the ways the enemy trips you up is when your attitude's not right. And so then you say, well, I don't have the right motive, so I might as well not do it. The problem with that is now later I have to repent not only for not doing the right thing, but not having the right motive. I'd rather repent for doing the right thing with the wrong motive than not doing the right thing and not having the right motive. Sometimes the Lord says, I'll get your heart right later. Just obey. I put in that $40. I went home. I had no money. I wanted to cry. Sometimes the little boy, the little girl comes up in you. You know what I wanted to do? I wanted to call my mama. I said, Mom, can you please send me a cup of milk? (laughs) You know what I'm saying? But I knew it was one of those moments where God wanted me to depend on him. He didn't want me to tap my network. He didn't want me to call in favors. He didn't want me to to stir the compassion of somebody. He just wanted me to depend on him. And I went to sleep that night, and the next morning, a friend of mine knocked at my door, and he was the brokest friend I had. I said, I immediately was about to go into an explanation of how I can't help you today, because he had asked me for money many times. He said, no, 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 the Lord told me to take you out to breakfast today. I said, praise Jesus. You heard him right. Sir, I perceive you are a prophet. He took me to IHOP. And then after breakfast, he took me back home and said, oh, and the Lord told me to give you this, and he handed me $40. But it doesn't stop there, because that night, a friend of mine knocked on my door from another country. He lived in Canada at the time, and he handed me a red envelope with $300 in it. It was what I needed to register for school that day, the next morning. And I went and was able to register for my classes. Sometimes God is waiting for your step of obedience before he takes his step of provision. You simply got to believe that he's already got the provision planned. Okay, God, you and me, I gave the word. I did what you told me to do. Now what? God says, I want you to go hide by the Kareth Ravine. And there's a brook there, the brook Kareth. There's no rain in the land, but I've made sure that this one brook is not going to run out of water. Isn't it crazy that God has hidden sources of provision that nobody knows about? Sometimes God's provision is a secret, and he don't tell you the secret until you've entered into the place of surrender. He says, my secret for your surrender. The prophet surrenders. God says, now here's the secret. Go up into the mountains, and then there's this ravine, the Cherith Ravine, the Cherith Ravine, and there's a brook there, and you're going to drink from the brook, and you're not going to go thirsty, but it gets better. Listen to what God says. I have commanded the raven to feed you there. 
First thing you must realize is that provision is always a response to the command of God. God has to command your provision. And wherever your provision comes from, God is commanding the provision to come from there. I have commanded the ravens to feed you. Ravens, feed Elijah. And the ravens were like, yes, sir. And Elijah goes and hikes up to this ravine, and he finds the brook, and he sits there. He's got his cups, and he's just drinking from the, and he's got empty plates sitting there waiting. And he's, he's wondering, what are the ravens? He commanded, the, he commanded birds to feed me? What, are they going to bring me some bird seed or something? But it said they brought him bread and meat in the morning, and bread, and they brought him steak sandwiches. Like, y'all went all the way to Philly? Where you get these cheesesteak sandwiches? Where do you even get, where do ravens get steak and meat, get meat and bread? How, the bulgogi and, I mean, where? They brought him some carne asada and some tortillas. I mean, you know, wherever you're from, there's a version of this. He's thinking, this is crazy. You see, the Lord commands provision from a source. And here's what's crazy. In order for provision to come to you from, from an obscure source, God has to provide for that obscure source. Yes. I have, you know, this is, this is great. Well, I'll get to that. So Elijah is enjoying these steak sandwiches in the morning, steak sandwiches in the evening, and drinking from this brook. He's thinking, I could get used to this. He's just got a lawn chair. He's thinking, this is going to be a three-year vacation. I don't even have to cook. And this goes on probably for a year, year and a half, however long it, it went on. And he's thinking, man, this is the life. And all of a sudden, the brook dries up. And it says the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. Now, watch this. The brook that had been supernaturally flowing suddenly succumbed to the, nat to the, to the natural. Yes. The supernature lifted from it, and all of a sudden, the brook dried up. Oh, and then one morning, the ravens, the Lord, the ravens are late. What's up with them ravens? Elijah's on the app, you know, raven eats, <laughs> you know. <laughs> He's like, what's up with my delivery? He's trying to get a refund. And the Lord, he, and so Elijah goes to the Lord. He's like, Lord, what's up, man? The provision the provision stopped. Have you ever been in a situation where the provision of the Lord, the supernatural provision of the Lord, dried up on you? The way in which God had historically provided for you, it dried up on you. Some of you, you had a brook dry up this week. You know what I'm talking about? Like when, when, when you lose your job, that's a brook drying up. Or you get a pay cut, that's a brook drying up. Or your baby mama takes, tries to take more money out of you for child support. I mean, I'm just keeping it real. Yeah. The stock market tanks and, and your 401k just, yeah. you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Bitcoin takes a plunge. I don't know. There's a million different ways that your brook can dry up, but your brook from time to time will dry up. And it's at the place where the brook dries up that we start feeling forsaken by God. Like, oh, thanks a lot, God. You start feeling betrayed by God. You start feeling abandoned by God. I want you to know that the place where your brook dried up is not the place where God's supernatural provision fails in your life. It's simply a place in which God is going to move you from one source of provision to another. Yeah. Yeah. 
It simply means he stopped commanding the ravens to feed you. But when God stops commanding the ravens to feed you, that means he's got another source of provision coming. You simply need to open your eyes and look. You need to be ready. Okay, God, if it's not the brook, where is it? What is it? Where's it at? Where is it? <laughs> I remember I was, uh, when I was working on my Ph.D., and the Lord told me not to take out any student loans to pay for it. And uh, they, they in, the, in, the middle of the, the, in the middle of the second year, they doubled my tuition. And they doubled our tuition with just an email. We just got an email. Your tuition's doubled. And I didn't have, I had to register in a couple of weeks, and I didn't have the money even for the regular cost. Now the double cost, I'm like, Lord, what am I going to do? And I needed, I don't know, five or $6,000 to register. And so I remember going into the sanctuary of the church and just crying out to God saying, Lord, where is it? Where is it? Some, sometimes the most powerful prayer you can pray is where is it? Where is it? Yes. yes. Where is it is a, a faith-filled prayer. Why? Because you're, you're just assuming that God has provision. The problem is when we become faithless, we're like, oh, God, I can't believe you took away. You let the brook dry up. You don't care about me. Now stop all that faithless prayer. Stop all that groveling prayer where you're actually just accusing God of not loving you and not caring. The question is, where is it? God, I know you've got it. Where is it? I know you're going to provide. Where is it? And the Lord, the, Lord, the Lord spoke to me and said, call this person. It was one of my family members. And uh, now she was, she was a, a kind of a, a tight family. Don't get, I mean, she was, she was generous, but she was generous to a, a degree. And in her old age, she had become meaner and meaner. You know, she was one of them. She, you know when you get to a certain age where you just say whatever you want? You got no filter no more? She was at that age, right? And so when the Lord told me to call her, terror filled my heart. I said, oh, no. Oh, God, please. Anybody but her. And uh, so I called. I was like, hey, auntie. Hey, Benjamin, how you doing? Oh, you know, I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. She's like, well, listen, how are you doing in school? I said, well, you know, I'm, I'm making progress. I'm making progress. She said, well, listen, if you ever need any help with your tuition, any money, just let me know. I said, well, actually, <laughs> now that you mentioned that, I actually need some help. She's like, when? I'm like, today. She's like, well, what do you need? I said, well, I just got an email. They doubled my tuition. I need $5,000 by tomorrow morning. She goes, okay, well, how much do you have? I said, honestly, I don't have any. And she goes, well, you don't expect that whole $5,000 from me, do you? I said, oh, no, no, of course not. She goes, look, I will give you $500. I said, I will take it. She said, come to my house right now. I'm writing you a check for $500. Good, good luck to you on the rest. I said, praise the Lord. So I drove to her house. I showed up at her front door. I knocked on the door. She opened the door, handed me a check for $5,000. She said, after I hung up the phone, the Lord spoke to me and said, give that boy what he needs to go to school. The Lord commanded it. So Elijah, his brook just dried up. The raven stopped bringing him the steak sandwiches. He says, God, what's next? What are we doing? And God spoke to him, speaks to him and says, arise and go to Zarephath in the region of Sidon, which we don't have time to cover it, but it ain't a place you want to go. So God says, arise and go to the Lockwood Projects on 65th and East 14th. God sent him to the ghetto. And then God says this. I mean, as if that wasn't bad enough, 
God says, I've commanded a widow there to provide for you. A widow? Now I know the Lord is tripping. I mean, they say he's the ancient of days. I think he's getting a little loopy in his old age. A widow? I need you to understand what that must have sounded like. You, if, if that doesn't sound crazy to you, you don't know what a widow was in the ancient world. Yeah. It's like the Lord says, arise and go under the overpass down there on San Pablo and 35th. There's a homeless lady that lives under there. You know, you see her out there living in a tent. I commanded her to provide for you. That's what it sounded like to the prophet. That's what it sounded like. Elijah's thinking, the Lord done lost his mind. And so the Lord says, Elijah says, okay. He arises. He goes to Zarephath. You see, here's the great, the, the beautiful thing is when your brook dries up, you don't have a choice. <laughs> Whether you believe it or not, you're about to obey it. <laughs> All right. He gets to Zarephath, and as he enters into the city, he sees this, the most broke down woman that he's ever seen. Now, let me pause here for a second. Widows were the most destitute of beings in the ancient Near Eastern world. But widows appear 81 times in the Bible. Psalm 68.5 says, A father to the fatherless and a defender of widows is the Lord in his holy habitation. Whenever you see a widow show up in the Bible, you're about to see a miracle. Widows are very important in the Bible. Because a widow is someone who has no source of personal provision, no way of providing for themselves. Widows live at the end of their rope, and that's why the Lord loves showing up for the widow. Because when God shows up on behalf of the widow, nobody can look at it and say, she pulled herself up by her own bootstraps. Nope, that was God. That was God. When, a, when God works on behalf of a widow, it means he's going to get 100% of the glory. Nobody will say, look how talented she was. Look how gifted she was. Look how industrious she was. Look at what a great, strong work ethic she had. No, 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 the widow was destitute. And so God says, I'm a defender of widows. Why? I love showing up on behalf of those who are at the end of my rope. Why? Because widows live in the place of surrender. Elijah walks into the city and sees a widow. He's about to see a miracle, but he's disconnected from that miracle. And the reason he is disconnected from that miracle is because in between the moment and the miracle is an event. And the event is Elijah has to ask. Have you ever been in a place where God says, I'm going to provide for you, but you've got to ask? It's the hardest place because I hate asking. I hate asking. I'm afraid you're going to feel manipulated. I'm afraid you're going to feel controlled. I'm afraid you're going to feel guilted. I'm afraid you're going to feel obligated. I'm afraid you're going to be afraid that I'm going to be mad at you if you don't respond at a certain level. I'm afraid you're going to feel that I'm going to feel betrayed if you don't respond at a certain level. I'm afraid of what you're going to think that I think. And I'm afraid of what I think that you're going to think. And so I don't want to ask, Lord, just speak to them. 
Lord, this can't be the one. That's her. She's picking up sticks. The most broke down looking widow he had ever seen. The Lord says, there she is. Here's how to set the miracle in motion. Ask her. I've commanded her to feed you. Ask her. Ask her. Ask the person who has nothing to give something. And that's how I will activate the miracle. Ask. Lord, I've been up there eating steak sandwiches. She's got nothing. You want me to? I should. You should have sent me an extra steak sandwich so I could bring to her. God says, prophet, if you want me to provide, ask. Elijah says, excuse me, Mrs. Widow. Um, Listen to what he says. Do you think uh, you could bring me just a little bit of water? You see what he says? Can I just get just a little taste, just a couple tablespoons of water? Just a little bit of water. You see what the prophet's saying? I can't bring myself to ask her for food. That's all the prophet can muster. And she turns around. She looks annoyed. She's like, whatever. She turns, and she's headed to the house to get a little cup of water. And the Lord speaks to the prophet and says, you know I told you to ask her for food. You haven't asked her for enough. The miracle is not going to activate until you ask her for what I told you to ask her for. Her faith has to be activated by her obedience. And if you don't require her to make a sacrifice, there will be no no provision for her. You're not doing her a favor by not asking her. You're not doing her a favor by not putting it to her. You're not doing her a favor by just saying, whatever the Lord leads you to. No. You've got to challenge her. You've got to challenge her to give. And he says, excuse me, while she's on the way, he says, oh, one more thing. Listen to this. And along with that little bit of water, could you bring me just a morsel of bread? You hear the prophet? That's all he can ask. He feels so bad for this woman. All he can ask for is just, just a morsel, just one bite of bread. And now the woman gets mad. Okay, you crossed the line, prophet. You crossed the line. As surely as the Lord your God lives, I ain't got no bread. All I got at home is a little bit of oil and a little bit of meal. I'm picking up sticks. You know why I'm picking up these sticks? I'm getting ready to go home and make a little fire. Mix that little bit of oil and that little bit of meal together and make one biscuit. And I'm going to make that biscuit. I'm going to call my son in the room. We're going to sit at the table, cut that biscuit in half. And we're going to eat that biscuit together and die. That's my plan. The biscuit and then death. Prophet, you crossed the line by asking me for my last biscuit. The last biscuit. And all of a sudden, when she goes into her tirade, the prophet thought he was going to feel horrible at that moment. 
He thought he was going to be like, oh, Lord, I can't believe I manipulated this woman into trying to give the prophet her biscuit because, oh, I heard too many stories about these fat preachers who come to town and they eat all your, your food and they go to your house and eat all the chicken and then they take big offerings for themselves and they leave all these poor families destitute while they take all the money and all the food. And I don't want to be one of those fat preachers. But while this woman is in her tirade, faith stirs up on the inside of the prophet. And all of a sudden, the word of the Lord is activated in him. And he says, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Listen to what the Lord has to say to you. The meal is not going to run out. The oil is not going to run dry until the day I send rain on the earth. But first, you bring me that biscuit first. You've got to surrender the biscuit to the Lord. Because on the other side of that biscuit is provision. If you keep the biscuit and eat it, you're right. You and your son will die. But if you surrender it to the Lord, the miracle is going to activate. The provision is going to flow. The meal will not run dry. The oil will not run dry until the day the Lord sends rain on the earth. You see, now that you've come down to your last biscuit, you're ready to make a decision as to whether you surrender to God or not. I was thinking about this time in Egypt under the administration of Joseph. Remember during those seven years of plenty, he was gathering all the grain of Egypt and he was filling these huge granaries with grain because the Lord had already showed him that seven years of famine were coming. And so he fills these huge granaries and then the seven years of famine start and people are coming to him from all over the world. And of course, during that time, his brothers come and he restores his family and brings them all to Egypt and provides for them in the land of Goshen. But in, you get to Genesis 47 and everyone in Egypt, in his own country, ran out of grain. Apparently, they didn't believe him, so they weren't saving their own grain. And so they come to Joseph, and they say, we're out of grain. All the people of Egypt, they come to Joseph and say, we're out of grain. And Joseph says, all right, I'll sell you grain. Give me your money. And it said, every dollar in the entire land of Egypt was taken. Joseph took it. All the money in Egypt, literally, Joseph took all the money of Egypt and gave them grain. So now they come back to him a year later, and they're like, you've taken all of our gold and silver. you got all of our shekels. you got everything. you got all of our money. If we have no grain, we're going to die. And he says, give me your livestock, your flocks and your herds. And he takes all their flocks and herds and gives them grain. They come back a year later, and they say, okay, you've got our money, and you've got our flocks and herds, but we still have no grain. We're going to die. And he says, give me all your land. And he says, matter of fact, not only your land, but yourselves. And so they say, we're your slaves. They hand over the deeds and title of all of the land. And Joseph, the scripture says, and Joseph enslaved Egypt, which is crazy because Egypt's going to enslave Israel. But before Israel was Egypt's slave, Egypt was Israel's slave. It was a prophetic moment. Now watch what happens. After they surrender everything, he's got the money, he's got the flocks, he's got the herds, he's got the land, and even the people, they all say, we're yours. Then Joseph says, all right, take your land back. Take your flocks and herds back. And then he says, here's some seed. Go plant the seed. Grow your crops. And here's what's going to happen. Every year, one-fifth of the seed you're going to give to Pharaoh. Four-fifths keep for yourself. It was at the moment of complete surrender when they had given everything up that they received everything back. 
There's a scene in heaven in the book of Revelation where there's these 24 elders that sit around the throne of God and they're all wearing golden crowns and there's a moment where they take off their crowns and they throw their, they cast their crowns down before the throne and they fall on their faces in worship. Isn't it interesting that it, it says they did that all the time? Like many times. Like every time they heard a particular song, time to throw down our crowns, they cast their golden crowns down before the throne. How do you cast your, throne down, your crown down before the throne of God more than once? Well, something has to happen after that. The Lord has to reseat you on your throne and put the crown back on your head. What God is breaking off is the fear of loss. The fear that if I surrender to God, I've lost what I surrender. The fact of the matter is, you actually gain what you surrender. And you gain only what you surrender. Jesus said, if you try to save your life, you lose it. But he who loses his life for my sake, he shall find it. At the end of the day, you only truly possess that which you fully surrender. The woman goes home. Faith is born in her heart. She goes to her supply of oil and meal. She mixes it up enough for one biscuit. She puts the sticks together. She makes that one biscuit. Here's the moment of truth. Sometimes you don't know what you're going to do until the very last moment. Sometimes you think you got the number, but it ain't the right number. God ain't giving you the number until Commitment Sunday. She makes the biscuit, and it's not till the biscuit is done that she knows. You know what? What's the difference? Either I eat the biscuit and die, or I don't eat the biscuit, God provides it, and God doesn't provide it, and I still die. I might as well trust God. If I'm going to go out, I'm going to go out trusting the Lord. If I go out, I'm going to go out surrendered. I'm not going to go out rebelling. I'm going to go out surrendered. So she goes to the prophet who's standing out there waiting. She says, here's your biscuit. The prophet was hungry, too. He's probably, good Lord, this is the best biscuit I've ever had. He ate that biscuit up. He tore that biscuit up. (laughs) Then he goes back to the house with her. And when they get back to the house, something had happened. She's like, I think there's a little bit more oil in there. And there's a little bit more meal. And so she mixes it up and she makes a biscuit and she gives it to her son and he starts eating and she turns back. There's a little bit more oil in there. There's a little bit more meal. And she mixes it up and she cooks it and she eats a biscuit. The prophet says, I think I could could take another. (laughs) She's like, matter of fact, there's a little bit more oil there and there's a little bit more meal. And she makes another biscuit and there's a little bit more oil. And they wake up in the morning and there's more oil and there's more meal. She starts making biscuits by the dozen. all of a sudden the prophet realizes that the reason I had to leave the brook and the ravens is because when I was at the brook and the ravens, I was receiving God's provision for me and me alone. God told me that he was sending me here to provide, that, that he had commanded this widow to provide for me, but actually he sent me here to provide for her. Because whenever a brook dries up in your life, It simply means that God is multiplying your provision. It's not about you anymore. It's not just about you. 
But God wants to provide not only for you, but through you. Amen. But it starts with your surrender. Amen. Let's pray.